welcome your backup plan tribe to another awesome, awesome show today. We are doing something at night, which we never do. And I'm so thrilled to have our special guest here today, Rach Wilson from uh, Australia. And so I'd like to be there right now. I don't know about you guys, but I would. My name is Tina Ginn. I am talking to Boo with Tina uh, with our, your backup plan app. And if you are new here, welcome to our show. Um, we are brought to you by Your Backup Plan, and we focus on real, raw conversations with our listeners about the guest's journey from a life-changing event in their life. And this, for Rach, was definitely a life-changing event that happened in hers. And I know that parents around the globe will definitely get some tips and tricks from, from her. She has so much good information for either your relationship or just dealing with kids in general and the family dynamics. Um, if you are new here, I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. That's how fast things happen. Do you remember Jeannie? I Dream of Jeannie show or in the click of your fingertips. That's how fast things can occur in your life. And I want you all to be better prepared, better to have a, a, an expectation, to have a plan in place, to have something that helps you, guide you through the process of recovery or whatever it might be. It might be insurance claims, it might be whatever it might be. So welcome to our show today. If you are new, Please like, share, and subscribe down here. Get my hand out. Click on that subscribe button down here. I want to make sure that you all make, you know, get to know that we have videos coming to you each and every day, if not each and every week. So your backup plan puts your life all in one place in case of any unpredictable circumstance while taking that painful aftermath out of that tragedy. What the heck does that mean, Tina? That means that you can put your life, all of that stuff, all of those puzzle pieces of your life, where's your bank accounts, where's your investments, where's your keys for the garage, where's your keys for the shed, where's your keys for the back door, where's the food that you feed the cat and dog, what vet do they go to, what about your important documents, what do you need to put in a grab and go bag for in case of a flood, or a five minute evacuation notice, or a fire, a wildfire, or home fire, or business fire, whatever it might be, we are there to help you so that you're prepared before anything happens. And then it's just a matter of going onto the app and getting all of this information so that you have it at your fingertips when you need it the most. So thank you for coming on our show today. We have, um, I'd like to thank our United States and our Canadian viewers, the two top viewers. Um, definitely love each and every one of you. Um, our German listeners are the next biggest group, and I'd like to welcome them. Meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentare haben, können Sie gerne Fragen stellen. Also, danke für deine Freundschaft und danke für meine deutsche Freunde. So, thank you very, very much for all of all of my listeners. I I thank each and every one of you. I wouldn't be here without you. So um, 
Our famous quote, of course, today for our show, our title is Autism. Can you find balance? I don't know. I don't know if you can, Rach. I really don't know if you can. Uh, four tips to balancing your family life with kids with autism or ASD. Um, it's a big thing right now. I know a lot of parents struggle. I know parents that um, struggle each and every day of their living awoke time. I tell you, it's, it's difficulty right from when you open up your eyeballs. <laughs> Uh, every kid is anyways, but that's just adds a whole other level to it. So let's, um, let's introduce you to our wonderful guest. I'm going to bring Rach on here. Here she is. Hi. Hi welcome, welcome aboard. I'm so happy to have you come from Australia here today with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so Rach Wilson is a relationship and transformation coach who works with couples who have neurodiverse special needs kids because she has two herself. So she, she knows she's going to be able to give us these tips to balance your family life. That's for damn sure. That's for sure. Um, she says, I'm the woman who survived hell year with my two youngest who are both autistic with complex needs and challenges. For 12 months, we had to drive my son at night so he could get through extreme pain episodes multiple times a night. At the same time, our daughter was having huge meltdown rages that would take me up to two hours to get her through. Are you a saint? I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel like it. I think you are. A very tired so one. I've got a on to get the bags out of my eyes. I think they're wrinkles. I think we'll get gray hair and wrinkles before you know it, I think. That's, that's yes, it, definitely. right? So where did all of this start for you? Well, let's see. Once upon a time, um, <laughs> I actually have four children. My eldest two are now 24 and nearly 18. And uh, we had them in our 20s. And then in our 40s, we had this bright idea to go back to just just one more and see if we could have our boy and uh it took us a little bit of effort and yes we did we got a, a beautiful little boy um we do it weren't planning on having any more after that we were only going to have him turns out we were wrong um it only takes one time and pulling out does not work just for anybody who needs to know. <laughs> just in case anyone wants just to know case. that it's preparedness right yeah hmm. know this <laughs> i am living proof and so we weren't expecting to have another little girl and, and she's also come through both. Both of them are autistic. My son has an intellectual disability. He's got the receptive and expressive language of a six to 12 month old. He's five and a half now. He also has low muscle tone. Um, he's completely nonverbal. Our little girl is also autistic, but she has receptive language. So she understands a lot. She only has to see you do something once and she can replicate it physically. So she's extremely physically smart and learns a lot through tactile sensation. Um, but she has speech apraxia. So she struggles with the expression of words and putting words together. So we have a lot of frustration around communication with her, even though we're doing sign language and other things. She gets very frustrated when she's trying to get a point across and we do not understand. That is so meltdown is it more like Sorry, is it more like pronunciation then? Or is yeah, it's it... like there's a wiring disconnect between her brain and her mouth. She can't get her mouth to do the sounds and put things together the way that she can hear it in her head. 
So in the way that she hears it from us, she, it's like, it just doesn't quite work the same. It takes a lot more effort and work to get her to do like the b sounds. So as an example, she does this as bottle. That's the sign we have for bottle. But she calls it ooh, ooh. And this morning I heard her say bot, but it wasn't referring to bottle. She was referring to something else. So she can make the sound. She knows it's a bottle. But when she intentionally tries to say bottle, that's not what comes out. So getting her to slow it right down this morning, I got the b sound. And once but not all like, of it together. No, not the whole thing together. So at the moment, she's isn't, three and a half. And isn't that crazy? Because when you think when it comes so naturally, mm. you know, you don't think of all of these little intricacies of difficulties, right? It's it's like when you've injured your arm or your shoulder or your hand and all of a sudden you you can't use it. And so now like, how do I wipe my bum? And how do I, you know, do this? And so yeah. it, it it's surprising how much goes into talking that we don't, we just take for oh, granted. Amounts of communication, like communication is not just what you say words wise, although we do rely on it a lot. It's also in gestures it's in the the way that she says things it's in the body language it's you know so using visual cues so for kids who can't use words and communicate with us they have to have access to all different types of communication so we're trying all these different things to find what works best for her that she can pick up on the quickest so that she has a way of explaining to us or asking for what she needs more than anything and be able to engage with us because she so desperately wants to have this social interaction. She's very social. Um, our son, on the other hand, is completely non-social. He's quite happy doing his own thing in his own time. And like you were saying before, we don't realise what the, the steps are that we take for granted. So as an example, um, he's never I've never had to worry about him putting things in his mouth. He never did it. And then when he got older, we had to teach him how to put food in his mouth because he didn't know. So when we finally got him to pick up a little piece and put it in his mouth, he sat there like this because he didn't know oh. what to do next. <laughs> like, oh. And this is okay. crazy. So we had to step it back further and go, okay, so we then we used toast, right? So we cut the toast into strips and then we grabbed his hand and we put it in his mouth and then we pushed his chin up to get him to learn to bite down on it and pull back so that he could then take bites of this piece of toast. And then once he got that, then we went back to picking up little pieces and then he was able to put in his mouth and then he knew what to do with it. But that was a process that took months for us to teach him. Just months. that. Yeah. That's so crazy. So he's got a very slow processing speed. You see it when, so like normal for us, we can switch a change from activity to activity. For him, as an example, if I start the meal where we're sitting at the table and I load up the fork and I feed it to him, that's fine. That's how we started the meal. He's expecting it to go like that the whole way. But if I yeah. halfway through load up the fork and put the fork down where I would normally put it if I'm letting him feed himself with the fork, he sits there and he'll look at it for about 30 seconds while his brain switches plans, tells his body what it needs to do instead, and then he goes and does it. So we're, it's like this. But him, his processing speed means his change and we've got to factor that in. So when we're yeah. changing things, we've got to factor in that he has to process the change before. And they don't like change, the change, do they? They don't like change. He's interesting. He is 
he doesn't he can flow with things if he doesn't know what to expect he's not a highly anxious child but you start putting things into place where he starts to expect oh okay as soon as I put my school shoes on then we go out the gate if we put his shoes on and he doesn't go straight out the gate because that's what he's expecting to happen next then yeah. he's not happy with that that causes distress because now that doesn't that does not compute is how we say it does not compute so yeah. we have to be mindful of what routines we set up for him because we're setting up a flow of expectations and one of the things we have to teach him at the same time is yes to follow the routine and how to be flexible with that and that is not an easy thing to teach adjustment it means that we're it means that sometimes we have to stress him a little bit by making it uncomfortable so he gets a little bit easier gets a little bit more easier to adapt because now we've stretched his comfort zone out a little bit and that's something Mm -hmm. that we are going to have to continue to do throughout his life otherwise if we keep say like keep conforming to his current level of comfort then he will expect that that's all that he has to deal with in life and when it gets out of that that's going to cause him massive distress as much as it's going to cause other people distress when he has a meltdown and he's quite physical when he has a meltdown I've copped nearly broken my nose I've got headbutts I've got slapped I've been all of that um so and he's only five so what's he going to be like when he's 16 yep these are things that we have in the back of our mind that we're like okay that's coming how do we prepare for that and you know prepare as much as we can and what can we do between now and then to alleviate any of as much of that as possible so there's as a special needs parent, neurodiverse parent, there is so much more that we are navigating in the now, navigating for the future and preparing all the way along, all the way along. Mm-hmm. Either, um, do they, so they don't like change. So do you, do you, is the best thing is what I'm gathering is to set up a routine, like they live best under routines? of some sort we are selective in the routines that we set because we know that he can flow quite easily when he doesn't have expectations um different if he was a child that had a lot of anxiety and needed the structure so and some kids do some autistic or neurodiverse children have high anxiety they need the structure to feel okay on a regular basis and then changing those can be a problem as well he doesn't need that to feel safe but in order to help him with the things that he does have to do, then we do need to create a routine and a structure around that. So like going to school, there's a structure around that. When he gets to school, there's a structure around that. Um, and at the same time, we like, we like to try and change it up a little bit here and there so that he has to deal with the change. Only smaller changes, not big stuff. Although yeah. we know if we've got to make a big change that we're going to have to have as many of his sensory toys and distractions and whatnot that will help alleviate some of that distress as quickly as possible hmm. uh what about holidays then what how do people manage that because that's a With huge a lot of help. change right you're sleeping in yeah. a different bed you're traveling you're eating differently yeah you know um, as, as a, i don't want to say normal but as a everyday kind of thing you don't even think anything of it. Like, okay, let's just go grab a hamburger, or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, basically, since we had the littles, we don't really holiday 
like that. We will holiday by going to my mum's where I know it's a safe place, where I know we've got it set up for their safety as well as their comfort and our comfort. Um, everywhere else we've been, I've either taken one child with help or, you know, there's been a way for us to have other people with us because in a, a new environment, it's we have to make sure they're safe. Uh, our little ones like to get out the doors. <laughs> My little three and a half year old is a Houdini. Um, she got Just out the to other add night. A little bit more to it, like you didn't need anything else, did you? Yeah. So, I mean, for us to go on the kind of holiday we used to go on with our other kids, it creates more stress than there is relaxation. So we don't do it. We just don't do yeah. it. Yeah, that um, would be very stressful. It is because at home, I've got home set up that I know they're safe. There's a padlock yeah. on the side gate now because of my little Houdini. We've got the front door locked and the key somewhere she can't get to it. Um, there is a baby gate and as far as we know, she can't open it. But, you know, I just, I just don't know for sure. Um, our son will stay in the contained areas. Uh, so he's on the other side of the baby gate typically. And so I know that our house is safe. It is set up for them. They've got access to their room. They've got access to their sensory stuff. Um, they're very familiar with our home. They know how to communicate what they when they want food and when they want something else. So home is, you know, the least stressful environment for me to be in with my children. Mm -hmm. When I have to take them places, I already get anxious before I have to go because I don't know if once we get to the car park, is he going to be okay? Will he walk with me? Because he doesn't tend to walk holding your hand. He's in his own space. Um, he's got the, we don't know his level of IQ, just to give perspective. He's got the receptive and expressive language of a six to 12 month old, which means I can't direct him. I can't say, hey, Jackson, come here. We're going to go there. Um, he will allow me to hold usually his wrist sometimes his hand um, and direct him where we want to go but if he's in an environment that he's not sure of he will want to be picked up and he's 25 kilos which is double that and a bit more of pounds so 25 50 probably about 70 pounds well like a, a five or six year old i guess for going to kindergarten right whatever size that pretty is. much yep and he's, he's got short little legs and he's a stocky little build so um, when he wants to be picked up, I've got to hold all of that and walk as far as I need to walk. And if he's stressing out, which means first he puts his hands over his ears and then he back like bats at you. So that's when you get banged and hit and the head goes forward and back and then he flops. So for me, that is a highly stressful experience because not only am I trying to keep myself physically safe, I'm trying to keep him physically safe and I'm trying to navigate through usually a lot of people um, and places that I need to go or I have to sit in a waiting room and he doesn't want to sit and wait he doesn't do waiting very well at all uh, I have an iPad that he only gets at certain special circumstances that helps because it keeps him distracted um, but then he has he's a bit like a, a coke addict he then wants the iPad all the time and he gets distracted at home he starts to start looking for the iPad like dude you're not getting the iPad so it has to you know we have to go through his withdrawals after he has the iPad but, you know, oh, so we have to think about these things before we even walk out the door. Okay, we're going to this environment. What have I got in my bag that's going to distract him, that's going to keep him calm? What can I do so I'm not getting in the, the firing line? And at the moment, we're trying to find a, pro, a stroller or pram that's big enough for him um, while we wait to get NDIS funded, which is a disability funded um, stroller for him, right. which is just bigger because any other stroller, his feet are on the ground. Yeah, so, yeah, because he's bigger now. He's a lot bigger. He's still in nappies. 
Um, he's not toilet trained. He's nowhere near it and probably been in nappies for a while yet. But when anyway, do you so think that would happen? Don't know. What would you yeah. think? Couple I, of years? I don't or? know. At least a couple of years. He has no concept. Like he's not upset about poop falling out of his nappy and going down his leg. He just continues on with life as it is. So he's showing no signs of even being consciously aware that there's he's got a wet nappy, he's got a poopy nappy. Doesn't care. Um, yeah. So until we've got some kind of uh, some kind of awareness that there's something down there that needs to be changed, um, I don't think we'll be even trying to push the the point for a while yet. Right. But yeah, you know, these are the things you've got to think about when you've got kids that are um, neurodiverse, special needs. Is you know what else do they need? It's not just as simple. I'm going to go to the shop. It's okay. Well, if I'm going to go to the shop and I'm going to take him. What else do I need to have? And I know I've got to make it a quick trip because it's too much for him for a long period of time. I know that um, I need to do it quickly. So as long as I keep moving, he's okay. But if I've got to stop and go to multiple stores, it's too much for him. So it's a lot of extra mental planning and preparedness, no matter where we go, or yeah. what we're doing. I think it hurts my head just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, so add to that. So add to that that I'm going through an assessment right now for ADHD. So my brain works at a million miles an hour and it's trying not to forget everything. So oh dear, my computer and my phone are kind of a really good example of my brain. Did you know that the iPhone has a limit of 500 tabs open in Safari on it? No, Guess how I found but out. you found that out. So when I had 500 on there, I had a look at how many I had open on my laptop at the time. And I had three different browsers with multiple windows. I had about 480-ish tabs open on my computer in total. So between the two of them, nearly 1,000 tabs wow. open. My brain feels like that. I'm constantly trying to – I'm constantly aware of where everybody is, what everybody needs, and the lists in my head are huge. Even though I write a lot of it down and I'm getting strategies now to be able to manage the load – um, there are times where my brain's overloaded, I get into overwhelm, and then my brain shuts down. I've got to disappear. I've got to lock myself in my bedroom, away from the children, away from all the distractions, away from all of it, put a TV show on or a movie, and just zone into the movie so that everything can just stop for that period of time. Yeah, um, because it comes to a point where you can't put any more in your head. Like it just gets full, right? So that it, you're done. Um, yeah, I say those terms a lot, like, Say to her, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. He yeah. Knows, right. She needs out. Out. Yeah. So, were you a relationship coach before this all happened then? I was many years ago. Um, back in 2008 to 2014, I was doing relationship coaching back then. Um, and for more complex relationships. So, a lot of like you know, blended families kind of thing, or no, complex in terms of not not traditional, non-monogamous, extra people. Um, yeah, that everything but the traditional <laughs> traditional relationship was kind of my zone. Um, I didn't even know that there was such a thing, honestly, mm. until I watched TikTok. <laughs> and that was yeah. like, what? People are doing what? Yes, there's a <laughs> huge community of people that are exploring ethical <laughs> non-monogamy. Um, but, you know, being ethical, it's, it, there's a lot of things that they need to, to pay attention to. So... Um, I was in the zone of doing, you know, relationship coaching in that space and, you know, helping people with those complex problems. Then yeah. I decided I wanted to do something different and did, uh, I 
met, um, sorry, partnered up with a, a lovely lady who was over in Seattle and she is a psychic intuitive and we were doing manifesting coaching and business coaching with ladypreneurs. And that was great. Really loved that. Had a great time. Did a lot of my personal transformation work. Thank you. And, um, you know, mindset transformation and, and all of that within the mix. And then we had our son and I had a maternity leave while I had my son. But then I was like keen to get back to work. I got back to work and then found out I was pregnant with a <laughs> little girl. And when I went on to maternity leave with her, I thought, okay, I'll have six months off and then I'll come back. Um, but that's not how it worked out because oh. <laughs> once we got through newborn oblivion, then he had a period of, I think, three months where he wasn't sleeping because he had some gut pain. So then we changed his diet and that all settled down and that was great. Uh, and then it was only about three months later that hell year started. Hell year started because he got an ear infection. He ended up on antibiotics. He only had three doses of it, but it stuffed his gut like more. He's, he's had gut problems since he was born. Um, and we, he was common? already, is that a yeah, common actually thing? It's, it's not uncommon for kids with autism to have gut issues or dietary issues. So he was already gluten-free, dairy-free, low carb, no fruit, chemical free, completely organic. Oh um, geez, not much left. <laughs> I know, right? So here I am going, okay, well, what else can I change? Seriously. So we were trying a bunch of different things, um, but he was stable before he had the antibiotics and then the, the antibiotics changed his gut biome um so then he started having the pains again and we thought okay well we just need to focus on gut health and we booked in to see his pediatrician and you know we, that's that was the road we were following but you know three six months down the track we're like it's not getting any better he's still waking up at night screaming in absolute agony and this kid has a higher pain threshold than the average so when he's like screaming in pain biting his arms banging his head it's bad um he had bruises on his forehead almost all the time. He had bite mark bruises on his arms because he bit it so hard. His four fingers he would chew on and they're all calloused still. Oh. Um, and he It's almost gushed. like colic then, a colicky baby almost yep. like that. Yep, very much so. Um, and he would wake up multiple times a night in excruciating pain. So we had a, a – and how we were doing it was we were driving him around because the car provided a really beautiful – sensory environment for him so when the pain stopped at least the car was dealing with the emotional distress whereas if we're at home he would still be emotionally distressed because because understandably so but in the car the car would deal with the emotional stress and then we could see when the physical pain started to come down and disappear and it would be anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour of him screaming in absolute agony um, before he would start to calm down and to come down in kind of waves he would start to slow down, arc up, slow down, and it just it would stop. Um, and the other reason for driving him round was because that meant that if he was outside the house with all that screaming and then his screeches when he's because he would be awake after that for a while and he'd be happy screeches. I'm happy for happy screeches, but at two, three, four in the morning, I really want to get my sleep. So yeah. it meant that the other people in the house could sleep because there was my youngest daughter, my you know, who's now the other one who's now 18 um and at the time my older daughter was also living in the house that's a lot of people who are trying to sleep yeah so for 12 months we did this we saw multiple doctors multiple pediatricians and neurologists we were in and out of the hospitals trying to get help um nobody knew what was going on our rule was when the second coffee gives out you've got to tag the other person in so we were living on two coffees a night each mcdonald's did a huge amount of work like money out of us because we were driving through the drive-thru 
Um, we did 100,000 Ks going nowhere just to soothe our son because he also was able to sleep better sitting up. So I would often take the second shift. Uh, so I would be on shift anywhere from you know, 11 p.m. sometimes because my husband was just so tired and the second coffee gave out early. Um, sometimes I actually got a whole night's sleep and he was able to do the full night, but very rarely. For the most part, I'd be on anywhere from midnight, one o'clock was typically the time that I started. So being having two coffees on board, of course, there's no point going back to bed because I'm just going to lay there going, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. We lived on the coast, so I would drive to the beach. If he was asleep, I would go and sit at the beach and just sit there and wait for the sun to rise. And if he was awake, him and I would go sit on the beach and watch the sun rise together. And then we would drive home, me fully caffeinated, um, get home and then the day would literally start. Baby would get up and everyone would get up and then we'd go through into the day and we'd have therapy appointments and all the things that had to happen. So during that year, I burnt out bad, massively. Yeah. Um, I, my physical body struggled so badly that I was having issues like, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, when you get exhausted, you, you know how words disappear? Like the word just isn't there. You can describe well, the word. your brain is full. Your just brain is just full. It's not just full, but the physical body is so exhausted that the yeah. body is intelligent. It starts to shut things down to conserve energy so it can keep going. So what my brain was doing, my body was doing, was shutting down my brain. So I started to lose words, and this would happen anywhere as early in the day or later in the day. It was dependent on how exhausted I was. So first you lose words, but you can describe the word. So it'd be like I can't think the word spoon, but I'd come out with, you know, mm, food shovel. <laughs> yeah so, something yeah um and then I would lose complete sentences like I just it would just drop out and then I lost the, the words didn't even enter into my brain there was no words there was nothing coming into my brain to come out my mouth it just all disappeared then after that I lost the ability to understand what other people were saying so on my worst days I'd be standing in the kitchen tears streaming down my face because I'm beyond exhausted and now I can't understand anything that anyone's saying and I've got nothing I've got no words there's nothing to say so yeah. my husband thankfully would be able to see oh that's what's going on and he would literally take me into the bedroom go right go to bed and organize for our teenager to take care of the baby and just for us to so I could get a, a you know a chunk of maybe four or five hours sleep before I would be on shift to drive next right um I was yeah, also having to say and we did 12 months I don't know how and then <laughs> for your relationship like what does even so sex us, mean at this point? Because there isn't. Any. <laughs> That's funny. Gee. There was no sex for years. No sex no. for years. Um, and and like date nights, date time just didn't exist. Um, even getting out for a coffee was once in a blue moon um, because the, we, our life was consumed by taking care of our littles. He was still working full time. This was the first year of the pandemic. So for us, it was like, I don't care what's happening out there right now. We are dealing with our own crisis here that has us in Groundhog Day um, and just getting through the moment. So what happened was we went into this massive survival mode. And I know other couples and parents have been through this, um, maybe not to this extreme, others may be worse. But we were in such survival mode, apart from us both individually being beyond exhausted. Um, you start to operate on the what's the next thing I absolutely must do? And that's the only thing that you're paying attention to. So, okay, baby needs a butt changed. Okay, son needs food. Okay, better feed him. She needs a bottle. Oh, oh, I should probably eat. I'll do that in a minute. So, you know, there's you're literally just going from one 
next thing to the other one putting out one fire putting out the next fire you're not thinking about anything beyond that because you can't you're also not thinking about the other person so we're in the beginning years when you first get together you're thinking about them all the time you send them a text message you might be out buying something for yourself and you see something they might like you buy it for them you surprise them with things you organize nights out you do date nights, date weekends, lock yourself in for a weekend of sex, all of those things you do. Um, when you're in survival mode, and this is like newborn oblivion, similar, but in survival yeah. mode in the relationship where your time and energy is consumed by your children or, or the crisis or, in front of you. Or caregiving, I guess, would be similar to you. absolutely the same. Um, you even stop thinking about them. You start to not do the little things. And that they are, when it comes down to how do you get through this, it's the little things that get you through. You stop to do, stop doing little things. And the little things are like driving in the car. I used to always put my hand on his knee. Well, when you're in survival mode, you may not even think to do that because you're still, you're so exhausted. You're just thinking about how exhausted you are. Yeah. Um, or you, know, you walk past him in the kitchen, you pat him on the backside or you give him a hug from behind or even just put the hand, put your hand on their shoulder. All of that stops. Um, and you don't even think, when you're standing in the same space to go, are you okay? How are you doing? Like knowing that you're both in this together, but the, the thoughts just don't enter into your mind. Your awareness is not, it's not beyond yourself. It's only on the, the, the people who you are caring for. Um, and that's about it. That's all you've got capacity for. So for us, we were lucky in that our relationship was extremely strong before we got into to hell year. Right. And even before we had Jackson. We've been together nearly 22 years now. Oh, we've been through all... so before? Yep. You know, we've been through our daughter. Um, we've been through going through the teenage years. We've been through school. We've been through multiple interstate moves and job losses and new jobs. And, you know, we've been through all the typical stuff that, that couples go through. Um, but this, this was some other kind of hell. And we... <laughs> I was going to say, what, what, like, what blessing did you ask for in this journey that you got and you got just not one but two but and two I know, two, I, like I two spectrum sides like you didn't just have to think about what one can do or not do but now mm-hmm. you have to think about the oh my goodness yeah I honestly so it's it's hard work it really is hard work and we we we, we had to have a few conversations particularly through the last few months of that because you know one of the things was um, for me on my side, I was, he was operating as a zombie, understandably so. At the time, because I was so depleted and feeling so alone in all of it, um, I was fixated on where is he? We're in the same house, but he's not even present. Where is he? And eventually when I got a chance to talk to him and kind of offload, <laughs> not my finest moment, but when you're exhausted, you're not your best version. So, you know, we gave each other permission to not be our best versions in this. And, you know, I basically cried, like, where are you? Why are you not here? And he said, well, where are you? I'm like, oh, <laughs> good point. <laughs> so but that gave us an opportunity to both say, look, you know, I'm struggling. And, and he said, I'm struggling too. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And this is so freaking hard for both of us. And I miss our life. And, you know, while I don't wish we didn't have our kids, I, you know, I, you know, I feel really down and depressed about this. And he said the same thing. Yeah. I said, okay what can we do was one of my questions and I've always done it what can we do like what do you need right now that would just give you enough to keep going and he said I just I just need some physical touch like 
just a random hug here and there. He said, I know sex is, sex is just not happening. Um, and he said, but I do need some of that physical touch. Um, and I'm like, okay, I, all right, well, I will do my that, best. Actually, I was going to yes. say that because you need the person to look at you in your eyes occasionally, yes. right? Yeah. And that's, because you that's need that presence. interaction. And yes. then you need the touch part so that you feel like you're not alone. And yeah. Yeah. So for him crazy. and me, it was different. So for him, physical touch um, was a big thing. And the other thing was appreciation. So for him, all I have to do is say, honey, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you did the dishes. You know, even if it's something he does every day, it doesn't matter. The fact that I have acknowledged that he is doing that and appreciating him for it does wonders for him. That is like, you know, return on investment in terms of time and energy, huge. It was enough to keep his love tank, you know, having something in it to keep going. And that's when we, when we got to sort of the six, eight month mark and we, that, you know, the six month mark was probably where we, we fell apart the worst because in our mind, we were approaching it as if any moment now, this was going to be all fixed. When we see yeah. the next pediatrician, we'll get the answers. And we kept being disappointed because we never got the answers that never changed. So around the six-month mark, we're like, okay, we need to shift the way we're approaching this. And this is something that I teach, um, you know, in terms of talking about backup plans or preparedness. Um, you know, any couple that is heading into or something that seems like it's gone on for a few weeks, act as if it's a marathon. Think about what do you need in order to cope with this, if this was this, you know, maybe it's going to be a couple of months, great. But if this is going to be the next year or two of our lives, how are we going to get through that? And when we shifted our perspective from any moment now, this is going to be fixed to, okay, this is a marathon. Um, we changed the way we were setting up our day in our life. And yeah, by that, I mean, it's not going to end tomorrow. So you're not rushing today and tomorrow for the finalization of the next day. Exactly. You just think it's exactly. going to be a few years out. So how are we going to figure this out? Right. Yeah, exactly. So and that makes you look at things differently. So for us, it was like, well, how can we get some respite? Because we weren't eligible for government help. We couldn't just offload the kids somewhere. Um, that was a huge burden to give to anyone family wise. They'd have to be up and driving all night and I think for us that felt like that was our responsibility because if something happened to our son because someone was driving him at night time neither one of us could have coped with the guilt of that for ourselves but also putting that guilt on somebody else that we love right so we took that responsibility for the most part um but what we did was uh I had a best friend who lived up the road probably 20 minutes from where I did and she said look I've got a spare room why don't you come and stay you know, once a fortnight, just for the night. So you get one night of solid sleep and, you know, set it up so that he's got extra help on that end, if possible. If not, him and Tyler, our daughter, um, we did have my aunt stay for a while. So we had support, at least one extra body that could help. Um, that meant that he wasn't going to get so excruciatingly burnt out that, you know, when I got back, I'd have got nowhere. Um Yeah. So then every other Friday, we would organise for him to go into Sydney and stay with his mate. So we both got at least 24 hours. That was the deal. At least 24 hours out of the house, which meant we didn't have to think about anybody else. We didn't have to drive in the nighttime. We could actually sleep. And most of those times when I got to my friend's place, I'd be like, vent, we'd have a wine, we'd have food. I'd be in bed by like 7.30. 
Um, and I would sleep all night and wake up late in the morning. Like when I say late, because I was so used to getting up at two, one, two in the morning and being up till dawn, late for me was like 7 a.m. So, you know, that's still 10, 11, 12 hours sleep. Yeah. And then I, I would relax for that morning. I wouldn't have to think about anybody doing I didn't have to do anything. And that was kind of the best part about it. I didn't have to deal with anything else in front of me. Um, but right. I also knew that when I stepped inside the house that my husband was going to need some time out. So I came prepared to take over at least for a few hours so that he could just go get some downtime and then we would get back into the mix together in the evening. So we that just gave us enough of a, you know, so when they're not falling over the edge constantly, um, enough to just keep us just below empty. Work keep, capabilities. <laughs> Working, yeah, so that we weren't, falling into that massive abyss of hopelessness, which we found ourselves in a couple of times. Um, and yeah. I'll be honest, there were times, particularly when we got closer to the 12-month mark where it had been going on that long, um, where both of us had had periods where we, we honestly thought about taking ourselves out of the picture. Um, when it got yeah. to the worst of the worst, just before we found the solution for my son, um, I was having a particularly bad day. I, I'm sure I was hormonal at the same time. I'd had no sleep. We were at my mum's place. There was lots of other people and they were all stressing. So I was surrounded by people stressing massively. And in my mind, I thought, you know what? I could drive him and I into the ocean and I could save the rest of my family. That's all I wanted to do. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting what happens in the way the mind views things when yes. it's so depleted and things feel so dark and grim. And I was going to say... There was probably some of those mornings when you woke up and said, do I really have to go back? Can I, can I just like stay here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I totally honest. Hand on my heart. Yes. Like I just, just give me six months. I'll come back in six months. Um, I just need six months to rest. I really do. Uh, and that's what it feels like. You feel like you could sleep for six months, but it still wouldn't be enough. Um, but, you know, I would never do that to my family because I knew that the load of it and I couldn't do that to, to carry my husband. So, but, you know, we, we so we, we'd have those conversations and we would, we gave each other permission to remind each other to say, hey, I really need a hug. Rather than being over here and resentful because he's not coming They're over not to hug They're not doing me. it. Yeah. Because we're in survival mode. He has no awareness right. of me. So if I need something or want something, I just have to go, honey, I need a hug. And he will give me a hug and vice versa. And right. We, because up to that point, you just you just did it naturally. We all used to do it always naturally. And in this situation, we'd all stop doing it naturally. And coming from here, looking that, it's like, why has he stopped doing that? Does he not love me anymore? Where is he going? No, <laughs> he's in survival mode, which means he's only focused on what's in front of him, just like I am. So when we got that understanding, we started to put things in place that meant that we would connect a bit more often. Um, and where we could, we were able to get some emergency care through the government, but only for short periods here and there. So we organised some of that because we found we had access to it so that he and I could get out and have a coffee. It'd literally be an hour and a half. That's all we would get. Oh, that's but nice. Him and I out for a coffee, it might be an hour and a half once every three or four months. But it was better than nothing. Um, so, Can you foresee that maybe you guys could have a night out, uh, like an overnight somewhere at some point when they're a little bit older do you think that could happen yeah we get i mean we're really kind of at that point now and we had a wedding to go we had a wedding a few months ago um and we organized for my mum to come here because it's easier to deal to, to manage the kids when they're in their own safe environment we had 
our older daughter, she was here. Um, and then we had friends in the local area who would come in and just help out for a few hours here and there. So we left here on the Thursday and then we came back on the Sunday. So we had a few days, which was really, really good. The first first time we've had that much time or even an overnight trip in two years, now, a year and a half, a while. Um, because we don't we don't typically get date nights. We yeah. don't even get date coffees at this stage. Occasionally, it's it's just not nothing's set in regular stone. But we we've made a point now to to find ways to get um, to have our quality time even amongst the children. So once they go to sleep of a night time, we've made evenings more meaningful and less mindless. So when right. you're in survival mode, you're in mindless mode because you're just coping with the day. You're scrolling on the phone because you need to stay awake a bit longer, but you don't have the energy to talk. Um, so, you know, we, we're shifting and have been continuing to shift mindless to meaningful. And that continues to change in definition of what that looks like so that we're getting more connection, even more connection, even though we're not getting out of the house date nights, we're still not having as much sex as we used to. Um, yeah. We're still getting that connection because that's now become the most important lifeline in our relationship. Yeah. Right. So for, for all relationships that have to go through these hard times, the, the you know, the, the four interesting, interesting, important things that you need to focus on is the little things. One of them is the little things. Do as many of the little things as you possibly can. Two, ask for what you need. Don't be shy about it. Don't think your partner should know. Um, give up any of that mind reading because they don't um, and they're in it with you. <laughs> they don't. They don't. I, I used to do this in, a, in my first marriage. I used to think, he should know why I'm angry at him. No, he's got no freaking clue. So, you know, <laughs> um, so just assume that they don't know. Uh, they cannot read your mind and you can't read theirs either. Um, ask for what you want. Um, and also checking in, checking in. How are you going? Like, what do you need? Those are the two most potent questions that you can ask someone, your your partner, to check. Like sometimes we are so in the zone of, of survival, we're not even thinking about our own needs and we just don't even think to ask for them. So when someone comes up to you and go, are you okay? Like, are you doing all right? No, I'm not. May not ever say that out loud or takes, you know, you won't offer that information unless you asked. And then it's like, well, what do you need? Actually, I just need a nap. Can I just get 20 minutes? Like, or I need to get out of this freaking house before I kill somebody, whatever it happens to be. So if you can right. be checking, checking in on your partner, it's like I always say, you know, your partner is your teammate. Like think about it. This, you're doing this as a team. Check in on your teammate. Are they doing okay? If you can see that they're not, see what they need. Are you okay? What do you need? How can I help you right now? Um, knowing that they're often one person's got more capacity than the other at certain times. So Does you'll have your one... mate have to do the same thing back to you though? Not necessarily at the same time. No, but yeah, I mean it's a team. To be it aware. goes both ways. Yeah. It has to be it has to go both ways. Um, so it's you know both of you check in on the other. How are you doing? Like no, giving each other, and this is another one, giving each other permission to fall apart. Number three, and that means being real. So when my husband would check in on me, he's like, "You're doing all right." No, I'm not. I hate this. I'm I'm so tired. I'm. Right. He can't, he, fix to it. I'm, he can't fix it. It's not his fault. 
He knows that. I'm not blaming him. I'm not upset with him. It's just in that moment, particularly for women, but men too, but women, we can process a lot of our emotional stuff as we speak, which just alleviates some of the stuff that's being held on in here because it's not the right place. You can't offload onto the children. You can't, yeah. there's no other place to offload it. Um, so giving each other permission to fall apart. So when I can see my, my husband struggling, I know he's not a big talker, but I can at least go, hey, how are you feeling right now? Like, tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what's going on in your head. Like, are you struggling? Because you look like you're struggling. Permission, permission, or vision. Listen, go listen. sit outside on a patio for a coffee and just have a few minutes time together just yeah. to talk, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Coffee if it's morning, beer if it's an afternoon. Yeah. Beer or wine. It's like, honey, I can see you struggling. Would you like a beer? So, but giving each other permission to fall apart, knowing that you're you're going to support each other and you might both fall apart together and that's okay. Yeah. It's absolutely okay. And then number four is plan like it's a marathon plan your life, plan your, you know, plan some downtime. Where can we get downtime? What do we need in order to sustain this or at least get through this for the next 12 months? So I had to, I had to be on stupid amounts of supplements because my physical body was breaking down. Um, yeah. If I didn't, I would have ended up in hospital. Hands down, I would have ended up in hospital. Well, because um, you don't I, eat the same or anything, so. No, I was, and there's emotional eating, like it's exhaustion eating is another thing chips because the body's craving carbs but then um, because the adrenals are fa massively fatigued or sugar and caffeine because now I need the energy and I've got to freaking move I don't want to go anywhere you know yeah so that the eating's out of whack um, but you know if you think about it as a marathon you start to think okay well what healthy snacks can I create on a day that I've got a bit more energy or I can get help to make healthy stuff. Great. I've got a friend. She can come over a cooking in the morning, make bliss balls because they're full of good stuff that I can just grab and eat. Um, mm -hmm. You know, who can I, who make would it easy. To make a meal for me, make a meal for us one night of the week. Or when you start to, the beautiful thing about hell year for me was that it made me stop being the lone wolf. It stopped me from being the one who could do it all and handle it all. And I've got this, great personal development industry for building up a person like that but really bad at getting us to come back to leaning on our community and that being yeah. okay so I learned through that how to ask for what I need how to lean on my community my friends my family um, in that time how to um, take care of myself in in better ways in smaller ways because mm -hmm. in the middle of that honestly I didn't shower for two months because I would, my shift started in the middle of the night. I would get up, I'd get dressed and then I'd be on coffee and driving all night. And then I would get inside the house and then I'd be on to mum duty. And then the day would roll on. And I think I'll have a shower later. I'll have a shower later. And then come the end of the afternoon, I'm in tears. I'm so exhausted. I can't function. I get put into bed and then rolls on the next day. And this right. And that happens like. a lot for just people just having a baby too. I, I know. Yeah, absolutely. That. It's like, are they safe? Can I, do I have a few minutes of my own time? I can go have a shower and maybe yep. sit down and have something to eat that's like normal. <laughs> like, because even if you have the time, you don't always have the yeah. energy because then it's like, oh my God, I, no. I can't. I had a colicky baby for three months. So hmm. it, it was day and night. Yeah. And I would get oh, so yeah. aggravated because I would run out to the grocery store or the bank and you would see 
all these other moms that were bringing these dress, lovely dressed babies to the store and showing them off. And I was just like getting more angry inside because okay. I'd be like, I don't have one like that. <laughs> right, that's right. And all the hormones on board and the sleep deprivation. I mean, that's crazy yeah. right there. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for me, what happened, I used to be very social on, on Facebook and, you know, I was out there and I was sharing in my life and posting stuff about the kids and stuff. And then when hell year hit, I just didn't have the capacity for it. I didn't even have the app on my phone. I got rid of it because I just, I couldn't, I didn't even feel like engaging in the world. Um, right. Even through social media, eventually here and there, I shared a bit of what we were going through. Um, and how I got do a lot you of support. share that, right? You know, how do you yeah, share that? Yeah, because you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to share all the negative stuff. Like that's a, no. a common thing. But at the same time, I, I needed to share, look, this is what we're going through. This is what's going on. Um, and I had a lot of sympathy. I had some people reach out and go, hey, how can I help? Which was great. Um, and I shared more of it after we sort of came out the other side and what I learned from it and how it affected us and, and all of that. And it was through that, you know, eventually, I mean, it was only 18 months ago we got out of it. It's, it's yeah. you know, we're still... Yeah very similar soon yeah i have two questions for you um the first one being what is there any knowledge to where this comes from like is this something new in the world or has it always been there or is like where the heck does this happen how does this happen Are you talking is about it, the neurodiversity like the different is it chromosomes or or like what happens with this is there I any ideas? There's, there's a lot of ideas. There are a lot of ideas. And it's there's ideas from genetics to um, toxicity to vaccines to um, environmental factors and things that we don't even know. It's possibly even a mixture of all of those. Um, and there's tra also trauma, like uh, particularly like ADHD. There's, there's plenty of people that have a trauma-induced ADHD. Um, and then others who have got uh, a brain that just works differently. Um, you know, with, I'm not, uh, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I do know there are a lot of different theories and a lot of research, a lot of studies out there that suggest multiple, multiple of them. Um, I don't think we're really going to know for sure. I think just like everybody's fingerprint is different. Um, the right. causes of these shifts and changes, I think are also going to have so many varieties that each person has a different reason for why they are the way they are. Um, even for but me, did it as I'm going way back, like way back on the farms when people were farmers and you had these same kind of children, is, is that yeah, what but they, they were put into? They were put into homes and locked away, like um, hospital so my son, kind of. Yeah, so my son, who has an intellectual disability, he would have been put in a home. He would have been taken from us and put in like an orphanage for kids like him. But they would, they literally just put them in beds or cots, left them there, no touching them, no teaching them. Um, and a just lot of drug them, we, I guess, right? Yeah, wait for them to die. Like, you know, failure to thrive because they're getting no human connection. Um, I do know that there, there were definitely facilities that took these children. And, you know, parents, some would parents would happily give them up because, you know, there was something wrong with them. If it's heart-wrenching as it was, you know, that, right. that was the time. We're in a stage and a time now where we're curious. We're trying to find ways to help these kids and people um deal with our world but also in society yeah so there's a 
we've had a lot of years of trying to integrate them into our society, but what's happening now, understanding neurodiversity, is we're starting to now try and change society to be more flexible and adaptable to them, which needs to happen and continue to happen. So as an example, my brain is more ADHD, more inattentive, um, yeah. operates at a million miles an hour, but sit me in a classroom where I have to sit there and focus on stuff in someone else's framework doesn't work for me. Now, take me outside and give me a way to brainstorm and be active and, and interact with it. I will learn. And my genius comes from that. So our setup, our education system, um, the way that we set up work systems, like you have to come in, you be at the office, you be here for these hours. People who have neurodiverse brains don't operate like that. In fact, they operate better when they're in their own comfy space where they don't have too much sound. They don't have too many lights for those who've got sens sensory stuff. Um, they do their best work when they can do what they call hyperfocus, where they, they might sit down and hyperfocus for 16 hours to do this one yeah. part of like get this project done. Um, but then they need to crash for the next week. Whereas a typical work environment is set up like our typical school doesn't give the flexibility to work with people's innate energy cycles and their innate genius and how to get the best out of them. And that is changing. Right. And I think COVID actually was a blessing in that way that we've got a lot more mm -hmm. opportunity to work from home. So those who are neurodiverse that have sensory issues or um, and struggle in a regular world um, yeah. can, now, can now work remotely and do in an environment that is conducive to getting the best out of them and, you know, lower the stress and lower the anxiety around doing their best work. So we're, we're in transition, but more education needs to be had around, you know, what are, what is this individual's needs? We don't even need to go into, you know, religion, neurodiversity, gender, da, da, da. I think we just need to, as a society go, what is this individual's needs? What do they need in terms of, you know, what is, what is their genius? How can we create an environment that allows them to tap into that genius so the world can can um, be rewarded? Benefit, thank you, that's the word. Yeah. Benefit from that. How can we set up work environments that, you know, hire people for their genius and then adapt to their needs? Um, school the same. We could probably have 50 different styles of school that match. Yeah the multiple styles of how kids learn. So we've got a long way to go as a society, but yes. things are changing. We're getting more awareness and the conversations are starting to happen about, okay, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I get the most out of you? Um, I know for me as an entrepreneur, as I bring on my team, that's exactly the conversation I'll be having. Won't find out what their genius is, but what their struggles are. What are their weaknesses right. that I can adapt around? What are their strengths that I can benefit from and how can we utilize those? So, and I know yeah. we talked about planning a little yes. bit because you have you have to plan. Have to I mean, just just to get sleep <laughs> and to have a regular day. <laughs> but there's something very important that's missing, of course, right? Is the family conversations around what happens if Rach all of a sudden goes to the grocery store and doesn't come home? What does she do with her business? What does she do with her occupation, like her career? Like, is she going to get recovered and come home? How is that going to look? Mm -hmm. What income-wise also, and also what happens if your kids lost both of you, even yeah. just one of you? How does that look? And 
what would you do in that case? And just to find the time to get sleep and have be able to look at each other in your eyes, like where the heck do you find time to do any sort of backup planning of any sort? Because yeah. you're too involved in life to even even be able to think of that. So what? And it is part of the conversation. Suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be part of the conversation at some point, somewhere, and sooner than later. We have already started to have that discussion. We haven't completed the discussion. We haven't put things into place. And I've loved that we've been able to connect and I found out about the backup plan because I will be getting that. Um, <laughs> well, anything to make life easier, right? Like that, oh, absolutely. That's <laughs> absolutely. So for our son, we've already talked about, you know, how we would like it to be. We definitely don't want our other kids to be, you know, put in that position. Burdened right? by yeah. having to become a carer for him our intention is to set him up to make sure he has a um, he's living in a, a group or a, a care facility that is set up for, ki- for for adults like him right? so that he's happy and because we're what are we now 46 we're 46 and he's only five and a half so you know as we get into our 70s we're not going to be able to physically able to to manage him no. and so sooner than later so as he gets into his adult life we will you know I don't want to wait until we no longer can care for him I want him to be starting to get into his life whatever that independence looks like for him when he's sort of 18 to 20 start you know preparing him for that space because for a couple of reasons I mean and touch wood we don't go before them but we'll have a plan b there yeah Um, he you know we don't want the as we start to get old and frailer um, that is going to be a lot for him to then adapt to and may have to do that quickly. Whereas if we start getting him into his new home or whatever the the, the lifestyle he's going to be having um, yeah. when he's in his early 20s, then he's better able to cope with the the slowly, you know, us disappearing and not being as available and, and whatnot as we get a lot older. Um but knowing that we want to have, you know, he will always be near family. Family will always be around him. Um, but we want our all of our children to be independent and have their own lives, which means not having to be a carer if at all yeah. possible. Right. So that is because I, to, I was to, just to thinking, plan. even if it wasn't an accident, if it was just in a five minute evacuation notice, because Australia has wildfires too. Yeah. I mean, that would be a huge burden to your family to have to grab things and have five minutes to get out it's hard enough with a regular family like i want to say regular it's not really regular but uh you know just a family itself if it's hard enough to run out the door grab things yeah like it would turn your world upside down and and spin it around a few times like I can't even imagine you're not sleeping. They wouldn't be sleeping in the same place and you're escaping somewhere. And what do you grab and what are they going to need at the, at your fingertips? Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it'd be the bare essentials. And for yeah. our, for Jackson, the iPad is a bare essential because it helps him cope. He's got chewies. So we've got all of that stuff. That's really highly accessible. If we needed to grab it in five minutes, we could grab the nappy bag, grab the chewies, grab his iPad, his water bottle, out the door. We, everything else we can deal with. But if I can at least grab those things and yeah. help him, the rest we can do. 
Or I, I but if you had a grab-and-go bag ready from your backup plan, mm. that would make it a lot easier because then you could grab that and grab their bag, like have it set up in the garage or whatever to have grab your bags. Yeah, and grab I, I, I don't know. I just can't imagine what you're going through. <laughs> just... I it is what know. it is. And it, I... People tell me that all the time. Like, oh, how do you how do you cope? And it's like, well, we just do. I mean, anything that gets anything that life throws at us, um, we always find a way to get to the other side. It doesn't mean we don't get to the other side battered and bruised and feeling very sorry for ourselves and probably extremely depleted and need a glass of wine. Um, yeah, but it's it's the other thing to to remember is that once the emergency is over. So for us, once hell you finished, once we got the solutions for both of our kids. He's no longer raging. He's now sleeping. So then we had to go into recovery. And that meant physical recovery, emotional recovery, mental recovery. Like we spiritual recovery. Yeah, people who live our lifestyle, it ends up, it's very common for us to have this thing called CPSD. So it's like, sorry, CPTSD. Um, And it's compound or complex, sorry, complex PTSD because we have these basically ongoing mini traumas so every time my son was banging his head and sitting in the back of my car screaming and hurting himself or I had to take every time I got to take him into hospital and I have to hold him down and fight with him for them to look at him I have to deal with the last couple of times we've been in hospital there's been five nurses on him and he's screaming to try and get away from whatever they're trying to do to him usually cannulas if you one time they put a, an oxygen like a mask on his face to try and sedate him to put get it get blood and put a gastric tube down his thing he went into fight he had five nurses and me holding him down and he's screaming at the top of his lungs to get free yeah i couldn't cope for after 45 minutes they sent me out and had somebody else i had to sit outside and listen to him scream for another 30 for them to, oh, to get that, that hurts stuff your into heart him. right there doesn't it massive so that is ongoing trauma so every time i know i've got to go to a hospital or a doctor's visit that is outside this house instead of the home doctor coming that anxiety kicks up every time because i know i'm likely to get punched kicked hit um he's going to go into massive distress last time he walked out with a blood nose because he hit himself so hard and these are things that we have to to deal with. So when we came out of hell year, I had to do a lot of my own therapy. Like I've got a lot of tools and I can do a lot of this work, but um, I needed to reach out to other people who had those tools because I was not in right. a position to use those on myself. I needed help. So I did a lot of healing, a lot of mental health stuff. I did started to get some physical health, a lot of supplements and things to get my body back to baseline. Even yeah. then, I'm, I fall into burnout on and off pretty easily still. Um, we also had to change our patterning. So while we're in survival mode, we had a survival pattern that was serving us during that time. Once that was gone, we had to then reconnect as a couple. We had to yeah. reignite that awareness around him and like, with each other. To with remember, each other instead. To have awareness of the other person and check in. Hey, are you doing okay? How are you doing? Hey, shall we chat? Let's have a coffee. You know, so we had to rebuild and come back to each other. And that is a continuing process. Um, and then on top of that, we started to then rebuild as a family. So now it's like, okay, well, we've got the resilience and we've got the energy. Let's go to the park. We know it's going to be a little bit stressful, but hey, let's do that. And let's cope yeah. as long as we can and see what else is possible. Now that's a possibility. So, you know, use the marathon method to get through survival, but then know when the reason for that survival is gone, 
you then have to go into recovery and rebuild on every level. And then you can get back to thriving. It's the only way to get there. Uh, And that's a necessary step. Otherwise, you just won't. You'll stay in a survival pattern and the relationship will only just survive, but it'll slowly die over time. Well, of course, in any relationship, doesn't doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I could talk about this forever. I, honestly, your story is... I'm taking a deep breath because I'm doing it for you. <laughs> I'm doing okay, I promise. Feel a lot better now. I, I have my days. You, you should have seen me <laughs> yesterday. I was... Well, especially for an hour escape, this is an escape for you. Yeah. You know, this is out of your normal. So I, I know that you appreciate it. And I'm, I know you would appreciate the sleep too, but it's nice to have that difference of, of your routine in, in some yeah. adult version, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I feel for you. For yeah. A while, but I'm, I had to come back. Once I had the energy to come back and I sort of said to the God and the universe, I'm like, okay, so... I knew the entire way through hell year that I was experiencing it for a reason. It's one thing that kept me going. It's like, hey, I know yeah. this is happening for a reason. I don't know what it is right now. And God, I'm pissed at you. But it will it will make sense at some point. And as I came through all that, these, I started to get yep, all these get, blessings, right? Mm, why? Like, why? Like, <laughs> yeah, why, damn it? <laughs> but it came, it made sense. So when I started to sort of be open to coming back to work, because I needed something other than being mum. Yeah. And relationships was the first thing that came up. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I would like to go back to doing that um, and work with couples who've got kids. And then it kind of hit, oh, actually, with my personal experience, I am probably the best suited now. I've been fully prepared, thanks God, to yes. be the person that can help other couples that have neurodiverse like kids because you just cannot help a couple, you cannot help a parent who has gone through what I've gone through having not gone through that or something similar themselves because they don't understand. Like even I didn't understand that there were different layers to survival, that your brain could shut down like that, that you just stop having awareness for the other person when you absolutely love and adore them and things have been great before that. I mean, I could never imagine that that would happen to me, that that's how we would live Um, or that it took a lot of work to recover and rebuild after that, even though our relationship was really strong. And I had... I even had doubts about that while we're in the, the worst of it. Weirdly, yeah. my brain said, I don't blame him if he would want to leave because this is too hard. Now, it wasn't. Well, look at how many that do. I mean. And that's absolutely, absolutely the case. The divorce and breakup rate for couples like us, the statistics range from 90% to, to 50%. But either way, they are a lot higher than the average. Very and high. The reason, yeah. The reason is often because the relationship has cracks and gaps before it gets into having kids. Once you have kids, there's a certain pressure that comes from having kids and things are not the same as they were. So if you've got any areas of your relationship that are not healthy um, and mature, they are going to come up when you have kids and they are amplified 10 times, maybe 100 times when you have kids (laughs) that have special needs and neurodiversity that bring in extra challenges that require more of you. So it's no surprise that so yeah. many relationships fall apart. Absolutely. Um, because they don't have the strongest foundations before they hit the massive storms. And my what I do is I work with couples when they're not in the depths of survival because you just can't learn anything at that point. 
No. Once you get out of survival, I help them to rebuild and reconnect, which means at the same time building stronger foundations within the relationship so that they can withstand everything that life is going to throw them. They are a team. They're in the same boat together. They are helping each other through these times. And then on the other side of that, they recover, they rebuild, they move into thriving. And I teach them how to do that. So I and can they clearly reach you that, down below in the description box? Is that where they should reach out to you then and contact you? Yes, they you? can. They can either go to my website, which is divinerelating.com, or reach out to me through Facebook. My only suggestion is if you friend me on Facebook, send me a message at the same time so I know that you've heard me here on this show and you want to connect. Otherwise, I, I delete a lot know. of friend requests because I yeah, I don't know them. Yeah. You um, don't know. And I don't need my I don't need my I don't need all my friend spaces taken up by people that I'm I don't need to connect with. So right. that's how right. you, that's how you connect with me. Okay, perfect. Um, can I have you come back in a few months maybe and talk about, you know, how your yeah. world is going? I just know that there's so many other people going through this too, Rachel. Yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot. And there's more and more. I think we're, we're seeing more and more. We're seeing more and more neurodiverse come, kids come through. Um, I think partly that's because we're now knowing what we're looking for. And that if yeah. we can get in there and help them early on, it makes a difference. So a lot more of being diagnosed and caught through that diagnosis process. And so now we need the resources and um, the, the, the knowledge and whatnot, the knowledge to, to help the couple, to help the individual, yeah. to help the family, to, to create such a happy and stable home. Because like for us, if I didn't have the relationship I have with my husband, going through hell year would have been 20 times worse and so I know that couples like us you know they need yeah. more than anyone a stable and happy home and a strong and resilient relationship that holds them through that and sure. those kids absolutely need a stable happy home because they are even more sensitive to disruption to tension change. to change exactly arguments and fights and they don't need that on top of it too no, it makes, it, well, it makes their symptoms great. and struggles worse. Yes. What kind of final message would you like to leave with the listeners? What kind of final message? I think. And notice that Rach is in her car right now because it's the yeah. quietest place. <laughs> it's Saturday morning here. <laughs> and my children love to be a part of everything. And they make a lot of noise. So I'm in my car. We just roll with it. This but, is yeah. your mobile office. That's what we'll call it. You do what you got to do. Exactly. Um, maybe that's my final message. Like, there's actually two parts to that. One, you do what you got to do. You are resilient. You will get through it. And, you know, use some of the stuff that we've said today in order to, to best prepare yourself. But the second part is, like, we as human beings were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant to struggle through hardship alone. So my parting message is if you are in a relationship, make that one of your first priorities so that you have the support, the, team. the love, the team, the, the, everything you need to get through any hard time that life throws you because guaranteed it throws a lot of curveballs. It has a lot of storms. You are going to go through them. And your partner is going to be your number one person that you cling to in that time. So make that the safest place for you to be the start um, 
yeah, and do that for your partner. Be the safest place for your partner to be. Um, and, you know, from there, the relationships you have with your friends, your family, your community. So relationships is everything. Create a support team. That's what you mean. Yeah. 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 Lean on each other. Ask for what you need. And like for me, when I'm working with couples, not only do I teach them that stuff and teach them skills, like relating skills, because nobody gets them from their parents these days. <laughs> That's, That's a whole other story. <laughs> um, so, yeah, get, get, get some skills, sweetie. And then it's work on your own stuff. Like our emotional baggage, which impacts our mindset, which triggers us to, to react and be not our best person, um, impacts so much of that. So take responsibility for it. Do the healing work. Seek out the experts that can help you um, because that will dissolve so much of the relationship struggle just doing that alone. Because right. it's, it's very funny, isn't it, how trauma brings up all of the stuff that you've pushed down in your self and not it's even pushed down but just thing. forgotten your subconscious mm -hmm. knows about it and yeah. you know it because when you get triggered the emotion comes up first and that's not yeah. about remembering the trauma it's reliving it so the, the beautiful thing about relationships is relationships are designed to trigger that stuff your partner is going to be the one who can get right in there and dig that knife in so deep in fact family are really good for that um, but that's <laughs> that's the purpose of them right so they dig that but you've got to have an awareness that goes oh okay whatever they're digging into that is a wound that's in me and something that i need to look at so i call it that you know your partner's going to poke the bear it's like poke 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 come on <laughs> bring it out so whatever your stuff is is a puzzle piece piece matched to your partner stuff so when you've got someone who's overbearing you'll have someone who won't speak up when you've got someone who is um, overly emotional you have someone who's shut down you know so they're yeah. the dynamics that tend to happen in relationships where they're out of balance and the key is knowing what's out of balance why it's out of balance and bringing it back into balance so you can have these amazing healthy happy mature relationships so think yeah. about this when something comes up and you you know we're human we feel the feels but if you could go to your partner and say honey um you know when you said that thing or did that thing, um, it I felt X, Y, Z. And the story in my head was that you just don't love me anymore. You don't pay attention, da, 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 da. And what I really need right now is for you to tell me that you love me or to, to tell me that I'm wrong about my story. Right. And then for him to go, oh, honey, that's not what I meant. What was happening here was this, 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 which is why it looked like I wasn't paying attention, but actually this is what was going on. And I love you. I'm so sorry that you felt that way. Give me a hug. And of thing right quickly easily with complete love compassion no blowing up no major upsets no needing to scream no needing to cry no needing to slam the door or threaten to leave so <laughs> i mean it can be as my simple mom as that. to say i'm gonna put my shingle out awesome. <laughs> and i as a kid i had no idea what that meant I knew it had something to do with her finding somewhere else to go. But as a child, I, I kept thinking, what the heck is this shake call? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, that's funny. That one. Yeah. So it's, I would love to see more people have these mature relationships where they can sit down and discuss stuff as it comes up, not bottle right. it away, not explode over it, not have to control each other, not have to manipulate in any way shape or form or 
know, there's so much right. that we as humans do um, as a result of our own trauma, not yes. knowing. And absolutely. There's just so much education and so much that needs to happen in the relationship and, and ownership, like personal responsibility and trauma space. It's starting to come out more now, but we really need to be teaching this stuff and helping adults and children through all of this stuff from a young yes. age. Unfortunately, we've got a lot of parents who are trauma um, trauma affected, which means they're, you know, they've got unhealthy behavior patterns and relating patterns and they're shut down or they're, you know, all that stuff, are bringing up children with the same patterns and yeah. giving them extra trauma that then they either rebel against or they model. It's one of the two. So, you know, this is what's been happening. It's been a cycle that's been going on for a long time, but it, we're in a, an, a, a space now for the first time in our entire history where we are, a lot more people are having these conversations about trauma, what trauma looks like, how it affects yeah. us, how yeah. we behave coming from trauma, what we can do and about, we can it, talk all these about it. All yeah. these different healing modalities, more, I mean, the, the, the I've been learning about relationships for a long time, but I've also found some amazing teachers that teach different stuff. And I'm like, wow, I mean, this stuff should be being taught in schools. I'm still yeah. learning about how I can have a better relationship um, and putting more things into play. And, and I'm learning from more different people. And as I'm accumulating all of that knowledge and putting it into practice, you know, my relationship is going up even, you know, it was always fantastic, but now it's going to another level and another level and another level. Right. And, you know, that's the way it should be. But unless people are actively looking for, well, how do I actually, how do we, should we be communicating? Like, how does one sit down and have a mature conversation when they're feeling hurt about stuff? Like, how does that even yeah. happen? It happens when you know how. <laughs> and you've got yeah, the support exactly. and the tools to deal with your own stuff. And you don't so, have the anger come out with it. Exactly. Like, right? Anger's destructive. So like when you're speaking from the trauma, can, it's destructive. Yeah. And can people get help from you on that, Rach? Yes. Yeah. Okay. One of the, the, the three pillars that I work on are communication, relating, and emotional healing and, and developing emotional maturity. So that's the three areas or call them the three pillars that I focus on and I I help them like the relating stuff is all about how do you work as a team? How do you get on the same page? How do you build an us rather than a you and me and fighting mm -hmm. and co competing around who's more tired, who's done more, who needs more? I mean, these are, this is competing. That's not collaboration. When you're a team, you collaborate and you go, okay, you know what? Our sex life isn't exactly where we'd like it to be. What can we do? Or what I that? used to hate is the blame game. Like, blame game, it's still us and you and me. Who, who cares, right? Like it, you're a team. It doesn't matter if it was yeah, me or taking school. Yeah. Like Any of that stuff of that is stuff. not. Yeah. And that's, not healthy. That's, that's what you do when your children, when you've got immaturity playing out, when you're a mature right. adult, you look at your partner as, okay, you're my teammate. This isn't working in our environment. What are we going to do in right. order to fix it? You know, what? Cause you didn't blame them. You didn't blame you. It's, it's right. like none of that. Yeah. Every relationship well, takes two. Wonderful. Every Every everything that bonds a relationship takes to, everything that destroys a relationship takes to. When I start to, to work with couples and, you, you know, one of them, as an example, one cheats and the other one is destroyed by that. Okay, but let's get back to why did they cheat? Very rarely is it just for the fun of it. It's often because <laughs> this one is, this one's shut down. There's no connection. There's no sex. There's no talking about it. Shut down. There's no love. In a moment of weakness. Went and got that somewhere else. Okay. That is just a big shiny red flag that says there's a real big problem here. 
<laughs> you know? So let's deal with the problem here. Now we've hit crisis mode. Now we can see there's a big problem here because nobody was willing to deal with it before that. Now we can do something. So see, that's why the universe has put you into this position, Rach. They said, you have all the tools to manage this. You've got this. You've got, you've got all this. of your, <laughs> you've got it. You and, might and not I think, think you do. <laughs> thank, I think because also I've got, with me, with having an ADHD brain, I see things. Like I, I'm so open-minded, right? I absorb a lot of information, but I, I, like I distill it down to the pieces that I really need and what works. But when I'm listening to two people and they're telling me about the other person, I can hear the subtext. I can go, oh, okay, I know they why really you behave that way. <laughs> and I know why you're reacting like this because of that part that they're doing, which is triggering this. And I can see the whole matrix of how their dynamic is playing out. They can't because they're in the fishbowl. But on the outside of the yeah. fishbowl, I can see it all. So and that's something unique to the way that my brain works in the way that it troubleshoots so it yeah it absolutely feels like I've gone through all of this different all these different careers even to this point I did IT support and did troubleshooting there but my brain is a troubleshooter it's like sees connections yeah. other stone um, but very much the human side so then I went life coaching and then I did you know all the different modalities that I've learned in healing and emotional healing and mindset transformation and all of that and then go through my own hell year to see all like, the depths of hell and what that does to a relationship but how we had to come back to that so every part of that is very much I, I just I bring all of that with me when I get into the room with a couple and work with them and sometimes I work with just one of them because the other one doesn't want to participate but yeah we, we that's get awesome that's awesome well I think I'll have you come back because we could really talk about all of this stuff and I know it's helping so many people so thank you for for coming out today with and and helping others understand and heal hopefully and give them some tips to how to navigate around this so thank you for taking the time in your mobile office and and giving us some help um that's it's it's crazy i i don't know how you do it but you are really good at it thank goodness thank you, very much. Thank you for having me on today oh you're welcome um so I'll have Rach come back to our show, I know, in a couple months, maybe when it suits her um, busy schedule and, and we can make it work again because I know there's so much more to talk about around the subject. So many people are suffering, you know, and, and I know you feel it and I definitely feel it with, with having just a busy lifestyle and how hard it is um, for sure. So everybody take a moment and subscribe to our channel if you already haven't and I get my hand out and click on that subscribe button down there because uh, that's what helps us put it out there to more people, definitely. So stay tuned to our podcast and live streams. I have great conversations with some of the most accomplished and interesting people like Rach here um, in the world today. I think you'll be entertained and informed and I hope we've inspired you and motivated you to start thinking about, you know, having a plan, whether it's in your amongst your family and, and what that looks like for a year or, or what do I do? What if like, that's, that's what I want you to start thinking about. What mm -hmm. if nobody's Superman, um, nobody's Supergirl, but expect the unexpected. Thank you to all our listeners. Um, 
And we are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook group. We have a VIP group uh, with like-minded people that want to ask questions and talk about things that worked for them. It's, it's a lovely group. Um, and thank you for taking and sharing your time with all of us. Um, and thank you, Rach, for coming on and being such a beautiful, wonderful guest like you are. You. I, I truly appreciate it. And I always end our show with Carol Burnett. I guess you probably remember who Carol Burnett is. Oh, the name rings a bell, but you'll have to, you'll have to look. She's a comedian. She was a, oh, a comedian yes. that had a Carol Burnett show. So yes. I always end with Carol Burnett. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, just like this show, comes the time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. I really appreciate it, each and every one of you. Be kind, be safe, and expect the unexpected. Mm. Sending out lo lots of love. Bye for now. <laughs>